I love it. Um, hey, and speaking of responses, thank you, Todd. That leads straight into where we're going this morning. This past week, because I knew we'd be talking about place, I threw out a little poll on the social medias. And I asked this particular question, what is your favorite place? What is your favorite place? And many people answered, but if you did not, just think about it right now. What is your absolute most favorite place? Well, quite a few responses came in, the majority of which were from within our Mars Hill community. And I looked and read every single response. And here's what was fascinating to me, church. 82% of us said that their favorite place was somewhere that I'll call out there. It was out there, Ireland, Paris, a bookstore, the beach, the UP. 82, yes, lots of people said the UP. 82% of us. Then another 16% said that their favorite place was somewhere that I'll call in here. In here, specifically meaning their house, their bed, their bedroom, a special chair. And they used really specific words like safety, sanctuary, calm. And all the parents said quiet. A couple of spouses earned themselves some brownie points. Do we have that slide? Delwyn said, your arms. Thank you. And then Chad B said, wherever my wife is. Okay, so Delwyn and Chad, great job. We knew the assignment. And yet from that one small sample, what struck me was the apparent conclusion that our favorite places are usually somewhere either way out there, somewhere far away, or somewhere way in here, where we can be alone, or contemplative, or in solitude. Both extremes seem to suggest to me that where we are right now, is either worth escaping or it needs some vision. It's either worth escaping or maybe it needs some vision. Now, places hold memories that have shaped us, right? Our family's farm in Texas is one of my absolute favorite places because it reminds me of my family's legacy, our roots in agriculture, right? There's a place in Chicago, Old Town Chicago, that I will always love because it's the place that Delwyn and I got married. But for as much meaning as those places where we occupy temporary space out there or in here hold, why choose to be grounded here? Why choose to go deep right here, outside of the fact that you work locally or that your grandkids or your kids are close. Those certainly are compelling and important reasons. But out 
outside of the meaning of your individual life, why else should we be grounded in this particular place? Well, in the fifth century, there was a monk, his name was Benedict of Nursia, and he had a vision of community that saved the church from crumbling alongside the Roman Empire in that time. And as part of his Benedictine rule, he established this vow. Part of that vow is a vow of stability. And author Nathan Oates, he talks about this particular vow at length in his book, aptly named Stability. But in it, Oates illuminates that the original and immediate meaning of Benedict's vow of stability was to live steadfastly in the monastery until death. The monastery was the workshop for the soul. And in order to get soul work done, one needed to stay in the workshop. The conviction that you had a permanent home in God was expressed by staying in one place with one community of people. Parenthetically, for the record, only one person said that their favorite place in this little poll that we conducted was neither out there nor in here, but home. Home, not as in one's house or apartment or condo, but the larger radius and community within which life is lived, where you spend most of your time. This certainly includes your dwelling, but it also includes your workplace, your neighborhood, your church, places of recreation and lifestyle, where you get your hair cut, your nails done, the grocery store that you frequent. When it comes to being grounded in place then, what impact does our relationship to this definition of home actually have on both our individual and our collective discipleship? There's an author named Walter Brueggemann, and he says that a sense of place is a primary, primary category of faith. But here's my hunch. Most of us, or if you're like me, we see home kind of how we see the set of a Broadway show. Perhaps it's not primary. It's more like a backdrop prop. It can be changed really quickly between the scenes of our hours and our schedules, house, school, work, dentist. And if it viewed exclusively through this lens of monotony and routine, place isn't then primary to our faith and formation. It is just a prop. And here's the problem. Props are not permanent. Props are easy to exchange. Props are easy to leave behind. Just how last week we talked about people not being extras in our life stories, but essential to our common flourishing place, whether that be Granville, Jenison, Byron Center, Holland, Ada, Grand Rapids. Place isn't just a familiar prop. In the narrative of God's activity in the world, place is on purpose 
and it has a purpose. And one narrative in scripture that I love where we see that purpose played out is in the book of Jeremiah. As an overview, the people of God have been taken as exiles in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And the prophet Jeremiah, he writes a letter that travels from hand, by hand from Jerusalem to the exiles in Babylon, where they will be, mind you, for the next 70 years. This is not a spa weekend. They were forced here. And they were forced to live in a place that threatened their way of being politically, religiously, and socially. Now, back to the present, most of us weren't forced here to our respective homes in the United States. Some of our ancestors were. Some of our ancestors were. Yet today, those of us who are socioeconomically and financially privileged to enjoy the freedoms of being able to come and go from our cities as we please, we get to enjoy that kind of freedom to move where we want to go. We have to name, today we have to name, that not all in our own cities are able to do so. Some people have to be where they are, just as the exiles had to be where they were. All the more reason why we have to know why place is so important, why we have to have a vision for being grounded at home in a particular place. And as we look at Jeremiah 29 and the narrative of the exiles, there are really three elements of this vision that I just love and want to bring to us today. And that's the vision of God's presence, our participation, and then the city's prosperity. So first and foremost, God's presence. We have to understand that the exiles, they had been operating under Mosaic law ever since Moses received the law from God directly, right? So even though they'd had kings who had gravely disobeyed and did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, the operating procedure, theoretically, they were still bound by this law. And they'd known the temple. They had known their temple as a place where in which God dwelt. That's where God's presence was. So now this is problematic because now in Babylon, they can't expect Nebuchadnezzar to abide by Mosaic code. And furthermore, without the temple, where is God? Without the temple, where does God dwell? God was certainly there in Jerusalem. But what about here in Babylon? Q, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11. If we read on, prophet Jeremiah says these words from the Lord, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me, note these words, then you will call on me and pray to me. You will have a life of worship 
You will call on me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. These next words, I will be found by you. This is not just a set of verses we use to figure out where we go to college. God was saying to the people through Jeremiah, to the collective, I'm accessible to you right here. I am available to be found by you right here. It doesn't matter where you are. It may be unfamiliar territory. You might be going through the hardest years of your life. I'm talking to someone in this room or watching online. You might be going through the hardest years of your life. Some of you will be the ancestors they talk about who have endured oppression, but my presence is wherever I put you. My presence is wherever I put you. And if I put you there, church, if I put you there, people of God, it's for a purpose. Nathan Otsakin says, the real value of place is that it serves a specific context or container in and through which God makes God's self known. Marcel, and I think culturally, it's interesting to me that there are some places that we have determined where God makes God's presence known with higher concentration than others. The beach, places in nature, hikes. Some of us think God is primarily found out there or in our living rooms or middle school and high schoolers as you prepare to go to Camp Geneva, some have been known to think God is chiefly present at camp. There are places that we have just predetermined God is there, but not so much here. The Holy Spirit isn't as present or active in line of mire or in a kid's classroom or at the pharmacy counter. The Holy Spirit isn't as present when we're in our cars and that person cuts us off. Somehow we think God is present out there, but not as much here. But let me remind us, God's presence, the advocating, powerful, healing, comforting presence of the Holy Spirit is here. It's here in Grand Rapids. It's here in Granville. It's here in whatever town or neighborhood you live in. It's, it's there in England, Doug, if you're watching this morning. God's presence is wherever God puts you, even if where God puts you isn't perfect. You don't need to go to Yosemite. Remember what David said in Psalm 139. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So my first question for us, church, is what limits have you placed on God's presence? How can God be more fully known right here where you have been placed, whether that was because of a relocation or whether you grew up here and your family has been here for generations, how can God be known right here? 
But the next element we see is the element of the people's participation. So not only is Jeremiah reassuring the exiles that God is present in their new home, he also gives them a very clear idea of what this means they should do. Now remember, they're in exile, they're being mistreated. It'd be quite easy, I imagine, to rebel against the government or to do nothing, to give up and accept their defeat. But Jeremiah doesn't encourage them to do either of those things. God encourages them through this prophet to settle in and actually participate. Specifically, he uses three categories. The first, he says, build and live. Build and live. This inherently meant that the exiles would be able to make a living here. If God is saying you can build and live here, that means this wasn't going to be the same fate as Haman had plotted for the Jews back in the book of Esther, right? They weren't going to be extinct. God is saying build and live here. That will be possible for you. And even more than that, if they were going to build, this would surely intertwine them with the Babylonian government. To build meant they were going to have to participate in the civic life of Babylon. To say, be here, but you're, you're going to be a part of this, not completely separated. You will have to invest something in this place. So the first thing he encouraged them to do was to build and live. And then he says, plant and eat. Similarly with the concept of building, the exiles were called to hitch their lives to the Babylonian soil. Say their nourishment was going to come from Babylon. Their provision was going to come from the hand of God through the soil at Babylon. And over a long period of time, they were going to be encouraged to be patient and to watch something grow through their participation and even through trial. God was saying, I want you to eat and be nourished here. But not only that, don't just build, don't just plant and eat, but marry and multiply multiply in the place of exile. I want to bring, you want me to bring children into this? You want me to raise a family in the midst of this environment, in this hostile terrain? This was a call, church, not just to one generation, but forecasted multiple generations into the future. God was going to see the people through and be faithful from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, in that place until they would head back to Jerusalem. This specific invitation to participation was likely a shock because just a few chapters earlier in Jeremiah chapter 16, the Lord spoke through Jeremiah saying, you will not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. But the Lord was encouraging the people not to shrink or decrease, but to dig deep, to be grounded and to multiply. Church, the place where God is calling us to participate over the long haul, for generations perhaps, is a place where we might be asked to invest something, to build, to plant, to plant something that might require some patience to be grown. 
and to multiply, to trust God enough to see something grow in that place. It won't be just for us. To participate individually and then escape privately without pouring into the place God puts us purposefully is an undervaluing of God's work in that place. It's a missed opportunity to witness evidence of the longer arc of God's redemptive work. And not only do we miss out, but we start formulating alternative narratives. Here's how that works. Most of you know, Dylan and I came here from Chicagoland. And whether we were picking up someone who was visiting or talking to our high schoolers in high school ministry, the narrative was that the city of Chicago was to be avoided, to be approached cautiously and left to its own destruction, beyond hope or help. And so what would happen People would go to the surrounding places. They would go on trips way over there somewhere, but right here, just a few miles away, would be untouched. What narratives dominate here? I will tell you that before we even moved here, before we even had our boxes land in our first home, we had heard, guess what? If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And guess what, y'all? I ain't Dutch. We heard about Dutch bingo. I was like, I already, I don't know anybody. I can't play that game. These were all the narratives that preceded us coming here. And I'm sure there's some narratives about Mars Hill Bible Church. At the dentist, the dentist asks me during a cleaning, Where do you, well, what do you do? I, uh, I heard a church. Which church? I tell, oh, I used to go there. There are narratives that dominate both the places we live and the communities in which we operate. And if we're not careful, keeping distant from where God has planted us will allow the narratives to prevent us from seeing the redemptive and good work that the Holy Spirit is doing right in front of us, church. And let me tell you as a witness, Mars Hill Bible Church is the most hospitable, generous, and loving community that I have been a part of. Those narratives that preceded our, our coming here, unfortunately, they're incorrect. You are people of God that lean in and you give of yourselves. I know that to be true, but if we allow the narratives about Chicago, where my husband is from, to dominate what we think about that place, we will not enter in, and unfortunately, we will not see what God is up to. That's the danger. So you know how last week we talked about, you know, our, our inward location, and then we go far over missionally as people, but we forget our community here? The same can be said about place. We can have an inward life under the roofs of our own homes. We can seek outward connection, whether through social media or consistent travel to some other place. But church, I encourage us, don't forget about what it means to engage withward participation right here. Right here. Because let me assure you that God is at work. So question, how can you reframe potentially harmful narratives and enter into 
greater participation at home, to see what God is up to, to notice where the Holy Spirit is at work. Finally, last one. This wasn't just about God's presence or the people's participation. It was about the city's prosperity. What's interesting is that in this letter to the exiles, Jeremiah, he points out that the ultimate goal isn't about the people's survival at any costs. He's not encouraging them to throw up barriers to protect themselves and then to ride it out. Instead, he encourages them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And here's the thread that I want us to look at. Pray to the Lord for it, for the city, because if, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait a minute. You mean we're supposed to pray for our oppressors? We're supposed to help out the people who are against us prosper on their home turf? We have to understand how crazy this must have seemed. Let's try it on, shall we? Not exhaustive, just a couple examples. Michigan fans. If the Michigan State fans in your midst prosper, you too will prosper. Spartans. If the Wolverines who live in your neighborhood prosper, you too will prosper. Democrats. If the Republicans on your block prosper, you too will prosper. It's really quiet in here. <laughs> Republicans, if the Democrats you work with prosper, you too will prosper. Do you see how squirmy this is? And I, I, could, I deleted a few bullet points. I, I'm, I, we just stopped here. This makes us uncomfortable. This concept, it reads really easily. But when you consider how the exiles heard this, what a challenge. What a challenge. As writer Melissa Dow states, their world, the exiles' world, is no longer separate from that of their captors. There is no arrangement in which destruction and evil can fall on Babylon without also falling on the exiled Israelites as well. God had intertwined their flourishing with the flourishing of the Babylonians and of that city. And if this isn't a challenge to us today, church, I don't know what is. Because here's the truth, we are not a film festival individual scripts that showcase random, unconnected narratives. I'm gonna thank Dylan for this one. We're Marvel. This is more like the Avengers. Without one Avenger, you have an incomplete story, and dare I say, you have no story at all. If you take one out, the whole arc crumbles. So in the places where we call home, Granville, Grand Rapids, or wherever you're watching from, if we're negligent or avoidant at best, or hostile and resentful at worst, we will not see home prosper. And if home doesn't prosper, maybe individually, 
it won't seem like we are. Um, maybe individually it'll seem like we're fine, but collectively we will not be. Our flourishing is tied to place. One final author for you, Mark Gornick, he writes, enunciating the kingdom will mean that instead of accepting the inner city as it is and offering words of future consolation, Christians will work to reverse the misery, the suffering and injustice that too often grip it. But what I wanna point us to tangibly is that Jeremiah told the exiles to pray. He told them to pray. We are called to pray differently. We begin praying prayers we've never prayed before. We start to care for parts of our neighborhoods and city centers in ways we never even considered. We lament gentrification and underfunded schools differently. We shift our time around to learn more or volunteer in that one area that's always piqued our interest. Why? Because God's presence is in this place. It invites our participation, and that participation is meant for the prosperity of all. So how can you pray differently for home? Pray for renewal within the 49507 zip code. Pray for the family-owned businesses down the street here in Granville. Pray for the nonprofits in your area. Pray for other church leaders and religious communities that are also shepherding flocks of people in the way forward. How can you begin to pray differently. Let me show you one way that I started doing this because of a project in school. So the, the project was this, to take a screenshot of my neighborhood and then do what's called an asset map, asset map, where you pinpoint on the map every local business, church, you even pinpoint neighbors. And for me, in just a few blocks radius around Martin Luther King Park in Ottawa Hills, there were more businesses, more churches, more people that I didn't even know were there. And then the goal was to take just that one picture and pray into it. We used to do this as a community when we did prayer walks on Wednesdays last year. But to say, now I know how and where to pray on behalf of the flourishing in my city. What if you did that? What if you just took a screenshot off Google Maps of where you live or where you work and say, I'm going to figure out who and what is here and how God is already at work in our midst. We're going to pray for the prosperity of this place. Mars Hill, I think when we pray that way, our hearts start to rise differently. Our hearts want to be grounded here. Our hearts are interested in home. Our hearts are stitched together in a different way. And what's redemptive about this account in Jeremiah is that eventually counselors came from the generation of exiles who were grounded there in Babylon. And those counselors gained favor with Babylon's king. And eventually, as we see in the account of Ezra, those generations of people grounded in place made it possible for the return of God's people to Jerusalem. 
place had a purpose. Genesis 1, God created heaven and earth. He created place first. Revelation 21, book ends with a vision of the new Jerusalem. Place matters to God. Before we go to the table, I just want to show you this mural. It used to be on the backside of the African Community Center that's now Brick Road Pizza, close to my house. And in this mural, you can see, if you would were to zoom in or look it up online later. It's a picture of immigrants coming to Grand Rapids and on the right hand side you can see the cityscape of Grand Rapids and all the buildings there and it's meant to represent the lives that are now intertwined. How people who came here are now finding place here and the hope that exists because of that people and because of this city. And that's my prayer for us, Mars Hill that this place that we call home, that God has put us here on purpose, that we wouldn't see it as something we're trying to escape, somewhere that's just familiar and has no other purpose. God's presence is here. So my final charge to you, Mars Hill, is to be here. Be here. Stay in this place and let's see what God is doing together. We now come to the table. Here's a place where we experience the presence of God, where we are invited to participate, and where we understand the gift given to us. It's a gift where we are meant to flourish by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So I say to you, it's a beloved community. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. In a spirit of thanksgiving, let us pray together. How right and a good and joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and as you have generations before us, would you make this meal a nourishment for our bodies, our souls, and our spirits? As we remember the work that you have done. In Christ's name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant that is in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so now we join our voices in proclaiming this mystery of our faith that we share with brothers and sisters around the world in different places, who too have been given a vision of God's presence they're in that place. And we say that Christ has died, 
Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So, Mars Hill, we have Brian in the back to pray with you. We have our prayer walls for any of you who are newer here. You can write your prayers down and put them in our walls around the room. And our staff would love to pray for you. We do this every single Tuesday where we collect the prayers of the people in prayer for you each week. But take your time. There are gluten-free elements in between all of the aisles. You can stand and receive um, at, your, at your pace. But receive who you are, the body of Christ. <laughs> 